When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. So a season-defining month lies ahead, a month the likes of we've never really witnessed before. At least eight games, a league showdown with City, plus a Wembley one, a Champions League quarter-final doubleheader, a possible semi... And then throw in fixtures at Anfield with United and Everton. Wow. That puts a look at how much uh, some of Liverpool's biggest transfers would cost this present day. It's a bit eye-watering. And Liverpool women are on the verge of promotion. It's all on the red agenda. Right, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, don't forget you can read all of the articles on Liverpool as well as everything else on the site if you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. There's a special price on there now, just £1 a month for six months, so go to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. I'm Steve Hothersall and uh, we welcome back John Bradley on the pod alongside Kiva O'Neill. So much to look at. Kiva this season has conjured up the most remarkable finale. It absolutely has and now we're just about to enter it. You know, the days are ticking down and we're going for it now, so it's sort of been a nice international break just I think for everyone to get a bit of a breather keep looking at those fixtures and sort of figuring out where things are going to be won and maybe lost as well and just the worries and the, the hope just looking at it all but obviously begins on Saturday this mad it'll have to be relentless running to you know hopefully something that you know none of us have ever seen before which is you know you can't use the word really lightly anymore quadruple you know in writing I've tried not to use it but it's getting to the point where you kind of have to because Liverpool are just in every every competition going and um, obviously you know each game is just massive and defining you know you draw a home to Wofford on Saturday and things look completely different or you lose or something you know everything right now in this moment is looking really strong um, but obviously we know massive games to come, games that will define this season and probably history because, uh, I mean, can a team ever really have an opportunity like this? It does feel once in a lifetime. But, you know, with Jürgen Klopp's Liverpool, it wouldn't surprise us if, you know, we're in a similar position next year or, you know, something just completely mad happens. So, yeah, it's been a nice little rest for us all. And uh, now the madness will begin. Brad, as you are the voice of uh, LFC TV commentary, do you use the uh, the word quadruple or not yet? <laughs> Absolutely not a chance <laughs> in this world. I'm just focusing on the fact that if Liverpool get nine more points, they guarantee Champions League football next season. So nine points from nine games and that's it. That's uh, the first task. It's really hard, isn't it? Because you look at that incredible run that they went on between January and the international break that you know happened a couple of weeks ago and Liverpool won you know every league game bar the one at Chelsea and now you look at the running now potentially could be 16 games which is a huge amount of fixtures between now and the end of the season if they win all the cup games as well 
And I think the thing with the Premier League is, I don't think you can afford to lose a game because you know what you're up against in Manchester City. That if you do win at Eastlands, the Etihad, they're probably going to win every other game. So, you know, you've got to maintain that incredible level of performance and winning run. And if you do want to win the Premier League, you need you, you need to win 17, 18, 19 straight games because that's what Manchester City do every season. The FA Cup, obviously, is a one-off, you know, as to what happens at, at Wembley. And I know Kiva probably, you know, same as me and you, Steve, when you saw the Champions League draw, you didn't want to say, hmm, that's a nice one, isn't it? You know, it couldn't have been better for Liverpool in terms of the, the draw that they got. But you, you also had to put out there, yeah, it's always going to be tough, it's respectful, <laughs> but I think we all know. I think we all know that if you were going to draw anyone, it was Villarreal or Benfica. So it was kind in that respect. Obviously, the semi-final would be very tough. But you've just got to take it one game at a time. I know it's the oldest cliche in the book. I love that the fans are so excited and dreaming of, of this unprecedented achievement that, that Liverpool could go on and, and do this season. But yeah, it, you know, it, it is a case of you don't want to get too carried away too quickly, do you? Mm. Well, you can't, can you? But it is new territory. And you, you can't move away from that, Kiva. You know, the fact is that this Jurgen Klopp team that's been more than used to chasing down trophies is now faced with a different set of possibilities. You know, the focus has to be absolutely laser-guided from every single squad member, everyone in the coaching team. Yeah, and I think it's almost you feel more confident in their approach because they've been able to fine-tune it over the seasons. Like... Let's be honest, we probably, you know, at the start of this season, we hoped for this sort of, you know, to be going into April. Liverpool have already won a trophy and they're still eyeing up three more, still in the, the race for the title. And obviously the Champions League, like John mentioned, got a great draw there. Obviously the FA Cup, we know anything can happen, but it's just, you know, exciting to get back to Wembley. But I feel like we probably, after last season, with all the injuries and everything that happened, fans not being there for the majority of the season, you know, we, we couldn't have really expected this season in a way. I think, you know, Liverpool fans are always, you know, this will be our year. You know, they got slated for 30 years for saying that every year. Um, and eventually, you know, it'd unravel and it wouldn't be their year. And then obviously until they'd win the title and... I just feel like that optimism from the fans will always be there. But what Jürgen Klopp has built, like I mentioned, he's fine-tuned this team. I don't think we've... You know, I thought this team was great two years ago and we wouldn't see a better team ever under Jürgen Klopp. And then he's, you know, adding players like Canate and Luis Diaz. And, you know, when fans wanted more transfers and were keen on, oh, we're only signing one defender this summer, what's going on? Or, you know, and then obviously January comes and he's assigned you know, from under the nose of Tottenham and whoever else wanted him, um, this Colombian who just looks the absolute business. So, you know, there have been sort of, you know, questions along the way and whether Liverpool could go and, you know, do something like this. But this team right now just feels better than it, it has ever been under Jurgen Klopp, maybe ever been in, you know, a lot of fans' lifetimes, supporting Liverpool, the younger fans anyway. And, you know, we thought that team was good from 2019, 2020. That team's still there, that, you know, that core's still there, but they've added a, a few little other players like Diogo Jota and, and that kind of thing. You just, I've just taken this Liverpool team to another level that I didn't, and a lot of people probably didn't feel was possible, but Jurgen Klopp, his staff always felt that was a possibility. You know, they've always wanted to improve. They've always wanted to, you know, like continue. We've seen that last season when they, you know, got the, 
member of staff in from about the injuries, you know, to deal with that. And, you know, they're always evolving, always advancing. And like this time right now, it just feels like, you know, they've got that experience, but they've also got such an exciting team that I don't think, you know, next season can it be as good as this one, probably, and that'll be the hope. But it's just like, it's crazy to think that we all thought, you know, the best team under Jürgen Klopp had been and gone, but now, you know, here we are. And it feels like the best team is now. Yeah, Jürgen's raised the bar ridiculously high, hasn't he? Let's have a look at what's going to happen then. Players coming back from international duty, one massive story dominating. And obviously that's around Mo Salah. The the events that went around Egypt's penalty defeat to to Senegal looking absolutely disgraceful from from the outside. Obviously it was a case of Sadio Mane, John against Mo Salah in terms of the teams. But actually... The penalty shootout, the laser pens on on Mo's eyes, the penalty miss and everything else. Just disgraceful, first of all. Yeah, I mean, the saddest thing is the levels of whataboutery when you you see things like, you know, when you say, oh, we saw them doing it, you know, in the game in Egypt. And, you know, so it it wasn't just that it happened in that game there. Um, I thought we'd actually rid ourselves of the blight of laser pens about 10 years ago. Do you remember? They were were a big, big thing uh, when you went and played games particularly in Europe, and then you started seeing a few of them over here. Unfortunately, I don't know how many people they had, but, I mean, Mo Salah's face was green when he took that penalty, wasn't it? And I think he was greener when he missed it as well, wasn't he? Because Hamanu is absolutely unshakable and unflappable uh, in terms of his concentration and his nerve. But, you know, it looked like it affected him. I mean, you know, I know that he would probably say, no, it didn't. I just, you know, didn't get a good contact or whatever because he's too much of, you know, he's got too much humility and he's too much of a man to say, oh yeah, I'll let it get to me or anything like that. But it's just, it's just wrong, isn't it? You know, you, but things like that happen and you feel for Mo. And once again, Sadio's had the edge over him, hasn't he? Just like he did at AFCON. So, uh, I think it may well inspire Mohamed Salah on for the next few games because uh, I imagine he'll come back pretty yeah, angry. I think in a way it has to inspire him. We know he's a man who's definitely got his eyes on the Ballon d'Or and clearly you're not going to be in the World Cup. You're, you're looking at how you can impress on a club level. He's had that disappointment, as John mentioned, with the AFCON. He's dealt with it once. How do you feel he's going to come back, Kiva? I think he'll come back in the same way he arrived from AFCON, which is obviously he just sort of has to put that disappointment behind him. And each game allows you to, you know, sort of renew and recharge in a way. And he'll, you know, be hungry to win the Golden Boot. I mean, who's going to catch him now? You know, he'll, but he'll want to be the top scorer forever, pretty much. That's Mo Salah's sort of attitude. So I think he'll he'll come back and he'll be fine. Obviously, it's so disappointing because he knows he could have ended the year at the World Cup and it would be so special to have, you know, taken Egypt there again after, you know, his winning penalty, which which done that for, um, in 2017 for the 2018 finals. So, you know, he wanted that moment. Big players should be, you know, on the biggest stage. But, you know, he makes himself on the biggest stage no matter, you know, where it is, where he's playing. He's, you know, such a, a gifted footballer. And I feel like it was sad watching him because I, like, done a piece earlier in the season. I think it was, like, September when he was on that mad uh, penalty sort of run. And, you know, I, I watched every penalty he'd taken and sort of figured out, you know, his his steps. And then, of course, he missed the next one just to show me up. But, you know, he takes, like, three strides to the right and then he, that's where he sort of, you know, runs towards the ball. And it's about five strides 
and he just basically whacks it. That's his thing. Like, I'm just going to whack it. Usually tends to go to the left, but can hit it anywhere. But if that sort of goes wrong, then he's going to sky it or it's going to miss. You know, they're not going to be on target. Like, the keeper would, I think, rarely have a chance to actually get a hand to any of his penalties because he just hits them so ferociously. But he, he just looked... Even the little Superman pose he does in the build-up, like, it didn't look strong, it didn't look... You know, he usually take... Like, he will usually close his eyes, but he he had to anyway because obviously he couldn't see. You know, that would have maybe affected him and, you know, his deep breaths that he normally takes, kind of like you see, you know, the best players in the world. You know, obviously Liverpool have neuroscientists now helping them to take those steps and those breaths and sort of own the situation. But Mo Salah's been doing that for such a long time on his own. So sad to sort of see that happen. I think he'll learn a lot from it and probably just come back hungry to end this season, you know, in the best possible way and score more goals. We we know what he's like when he doesn't score and, you know, or he's subbed early. He's absolutely furious, isn't he? He's fuming and that's what you love to see. So I think, you know, we'll soon see him back to his best, um, whether that's against Wofford or he's afforded a little bit of a rest and you know, um, the Champions League, he'll, he'll soon spark into life as we as he, you know, has done all season. He'll come back and he'll see that giant mural of himself on the side of the uh, the Abbey Lawns nursing home. James Pearce has written a piece on it. Check it out on The Athletic, uh, organised by the Anfield Road Traders Association. He's going to get a lift when he, when he sees that. Really good piece by James on there at the moment. In some of the games before the international break, Bradders, and obviously you're commentating on every kick, they were getting the results. In fact, I think they won 12 of 13, but maybe not performing at the levels that we expected them. People could say that's absolutely fine, but is that the way you, you need to continue, or are we asking this team to step up a level now? How many games did we actually think, though, that they were in real trouble in? You know, I think, I think that's the difference, isn't it? Where we've watched games in the past, in you know a couple of years ago at the start of the Jurgen Klopp reign, and and you know games that Liverpool could easily draw or lose, or games that they now win. And Kiva made a really good point. You know, you talk about the mentality and and the togetherness and the different qualities of the players that have been brought in, and Liverpool have always managed to find that edge in these games because of what they've been through in the past. Uh, it only gets tougher now because the running really does kick in now. What we've just had for the last two months was like the hors d'oeuvre and now it's the main course, isn't it? For the next month and a half, two months. So it is all about having that willpower, every concentration that you know for every second of of every game. But I actually thought that the Inter Milan game that they lost, they should have won 4 or 5-1. So, you know, you put that one aside. And then a couple of the others where teams had chances. I think that a couple of them were a little bit of a false anomaly, particularly, you know, you saw things about the Burnley game where people would say, oh, Burnley outplayed you. Burnley, Burnley had about seven shots that were offside in that game and didn't really create much, whereas Liverpool didn't create much themselves but got the goal when they needed to and could have got an, another one as well. So I think that it's like the focus on this high defensive line, oh, Liverpool can't do this, yet, you know, they've caught teams offside twice as many as anyone else and teams aren't having as many shots against Liverpool as they are against other teams. But it's football, teams are going to have chances. It just helps that Liverpool have got uh, the best goalkeeper in the business as he proves every uh, every game in one-on-one situations. 
Yeah, and defensively, the team's been doing the business, hasn't it? Right, I'm going to go against what Brad has said and, and have a look at games beyond the next fixture because actually this, this month des- deserves this, doesn't it? So you've got, you've got Manchester City, a single game keeper, which doesn't define the whole season, but such is the nature of the rivalry between these two that it's arguably the most important fixture of this month. They all feel like finals, but this feels like a final more so than any other game, doesn't it? And you're playing them at Wembley for a place in the final of the FA Cup, but the game in the league just feels so much bigger. You know, I think Liverpool fans would be disappointed to walk down Wembley Way after the game and, you know, not have made it to the, the final of the FA Cup. But they'll be more disappointed to be leaving the Etihad and, you know, Liverpool have lost or even just drawn. I think, you know, people would take a draw if it's on offer. But again, it's a game you just really need to win, I think, in terms of just the mindset and I guess the momentum, but also the impact it has on Pep Guardiola's Man City. Because obviously, you know, we've seen them dropping points in recent weeks, which has, you know, allowed Liverpool in a little more and... You have to take every opportunity you can and it just feels almost like this game, you know, we're looking at it as this sort of big, scary, you know, defining game, but it's an opportunity. That's what it is. It's an opportunity for Liverpool to really, you know, express themselves and express how much they want to win this league and go there and show that. And I think that's, you know, how they will be looking at it. They won't be looking at it in fear or, you know, like everything depends on it because to the fans it feels like it does, but... Obviously, you've got to get through the other games before that and the games after that as well. Like you mentioned earlier, Everton and Man United, obviously in the, the season that Liverpool missed out to Man City. It was those draws to those teams which sort of, you know, were a real sort of roadblock to Liverpool pushing on and, and winning the title. So this Man City game is big, but like I say, it's such a massive opportunity and it's so nice to have one of these games in the season where it just feels like the whole world is just going to be glued to it. That's pretty powerful, I think. If it's anything like the 2-2, we're in for an absolute treat. Liverpool's head-to-head with City at the Etihad hasn't been great, really. They've not beaten Pep's side since, what, 2018 there. It's always a tantalising fixture. In terms of the title race, if you looked at it now, what do you think rests on it, John? Mm, it's such a hard question, isn't it? Because in your head, you look at it and you think Manchester City will win every other game this season just because that's what Pep has instilled into his side. And I was lucky to speak to him earlier in the season, actually off the record, um, away from cameras or anything like that. And he, he said something that, that really sort of struck a chord with me. And he said a, a draw in the Premier League with how good Liverpool are is just like a defeat. And he said you just can't afford to draw games in the Premier League. And I'm certain Jurgen Klopp would probably stay the same as well. I remember the focus on, on old firm games when, you know, before Rangers had their uh, their slip-ups and had to go down through the leagues. But it felt like the old firm games would decide who won the league in Scotland. And you look at these games between Liverpool and City now and you think, you know, it's going to depend who wins the league this season. I actually think City have played a lot better against Liverpool over the last couple of seasons, particularly at home under Pep than, than they had earlier on when I think that they were they were too open. And he tried to second-guess Liverpool and tried to overcomplicate things against Liverpool. I think that they played pretty well at Anfield earlier in the season. Um, and Liverpool were, were really digging in and looking for something special off, off Mo or someone like that, you know, like they got in that game. And I think the same might apply at City as well. 
I think the one thing you know is that on the FA Cup game, City normally play Zach Steffen in goal, don't they? And it'd be no surprise to see him, but you guarantee he won't be in goal for that Premier League game. Absolutely. It's just tantalising, is it? The FA Cup semi at Wembley going to be really tense as well. Can't wait for that. Um, we've got the games with United and Everton, which sort of the bookend on the other side of April. Normally we'd be coming into a month, Kiever, and, and looking at those fixtures, wouldn't we? It's almost like they're the dessert at the very back of the month now. But again, they could be pivotal games for those two teams, given the plight that Everton are in as well. Yeah, definitely. They'd be big games to... For those teams who are, you know, they've been struggling on, well, Everton have struggled all season, but Man United have struggled at times here and there, you know, whether they'll get Champions League football and that kind of thing will be on offer for them. So, you know, they'll go into that game with that sort of added impetus, but also just they'll be wanting to really win because obviously you want to win in this game and um, in, in those two games in particular, they're the games fans want to win, you know, you they're the first ones fans will look at when the fixtures are released. You want to know, you know, when Liverpool play in Everton and when are Liverpool play in United and then kind of City, Chelsea and whoever else sort of comes after that. But those two, I think, you know, for a lot of fans are the pick of the bunch and obviously they'll be at a home. So Liverpool will have a, an advantage there. But, you know, Man United aren't going to want to perform in the way they did earlier in the season. And I think, you know, derbies are just always nerve-wracking anyway. So against Everton, it'll be... You know, we we know what um, Frank Lampard brings to the touchline um, after that when um, Liverpool, the day Liverpool lifted the league title, obviously him and Klopp had a bit of a, you know, head-to-head or whatever, a few words were thrown back and forth. So, you know, there'll, there'll be moments like that, you would imagine. And yeah, Liverpool just got to ride it as best they can. And I think, you know, thinking about that City game is like, it feels like we're building up to like a big fight in the boxing or something and you know, no one kinda wanted to be like first round knockout. Even though everyone kinda wants to see something amazing like that, you kinda wanna go wanted to go the distance, don't you? And you know, for someone to pull off a, a late win or something special. I mean, Liverpool fans listening to this will be like, We'll take one nil any any old way, you know, just get across the line. But it just yeah, that feels like the superstar bout, doesn't it? And you know, Everton and Man United are almost on the undercard, but just as massively important to to Liverpool's season. But by then, obviously, we we kind of don't know, you know, what position they're gonna be in. But right now, they just feel massive, and you know, I'm sure we'll be giving fans palpitations as you just sort of read through and compare it to like John mentioned, City's running just seems a lot easier. You just the one game I'm sort of looking to is Aston Villa. Obviously, they play. Can Steven Gerrard do something just? you know, special for his former club. You know how much he enjoyed the Legends game and, you know, getting back wearing and red. So I think that's the one game where fans are thinking if it does go down to the last game of the season, maybe something can happen there. But obviously Liverpool have got to play Villa in between all of that themselves. So it's just, yeah, it's I need to lie down, I think, when I, whenever I think through it all. I think Bradders is having one. I'm, I'm looking at him. He's Something's <laughs> going on in his head. He's, he's not gone to sleep. I think it's all got too much for him. No. Do you know what it is, Steve? It is like every time you think about something, something new comes up in your head. So, like you think, oh, Newcastle are playing well, aren't they? They've started picking up results under Eddie Howe. There's a, there's a bit of a spirit and a unity building up there. You're thinking, oh, God, you know. And every sort of like every time you think about, it, you're thinking, well, that's going to be a tough game now, and that's not an easy game. You know, Watford fighting for their lives, they get another win. Then you know, all of a sudden, they're catching Everton and they're catching Leeds. Everyone who's playing everyone now, you, 
it just it just throws up so many things in your head, doesn't it? It's horrible, actually. I don't know how the players and the manager actually just manage to sort of distance them themselves and, and clear their minds and get that clarity of thought, you know, in games that they do. They seem the calmest people around. It's like you when you have to commentate on a big goal, brothers. It's all there. It's waiting <laughs> to come. Just a quick one. Do you think the manager's actually pre-planned... All their minutes. I know. I know it's impossible to know exactly because essentially there's injuries, there's other elements. But do you think they go into the month with the manager essentially knowing what minutes in what games are going to be played, brothers? It's an interesting one because obviously when they come back from, they'll be getting together after the uh, international duty, and and obviously all the medical staff and uh, and the fitness staff will be assessing everybody and looking at everybody. And I think also as well. They'll look at the players that, like James Milner's coming back now, and James Milner offers that little bit of versatility again. That, you know that can come back in and offer something to the manager and, and to the coaching staff. It was good to see Joe Gomez get the minutes that he did, but obviously, I think you pretty much know nine of you starting eleven for your first choice starting eleven for your big games. Maybe Kiever, uh, I'd say nine. You'd, you'd say nine for the City game if everyone's available. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot. Probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right, we've got so many other things to talk about, so let's let's get on to a piece that Kiva's written uh, at the moment, which looked at a special piece of technology converting historic transfers and tells you how much those players would be worth in this modern-day market, which might bring a smile to your face when you see some of the names and the, the figures next to them. So Kevin Maguire and Jason Laws from the University of Liverpool set up this system, and top of your list was one big transfer which Liverpool fans often look back on. It's Stan Collymore, Kiva. What's, what's he worth now? Yeah, well, he, he was worth eight and a half million uh, when Roy Evans signed them from Nottingham Forest. But now, like this magic calculator, which I've no idea really how to work, I just sort of send some numbers and they come back to me. Like, But yeah, this one sort of just stood out straight away. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> as soon as I you know, read the fee. Um, so eight and a half million in, I think it was in 95, when he signed from Forest would be 132.9 million in 2019's money. We used 2019 because obviously that was the the last year sort of distorted before, you know, COVID distorted sort of things. Um, so yeah, that sort of stood out straight away. I mean, it stood out just going through um, from, you know, when the Premier League era began and picking out the top three from each season. And, you know, Stan Collymore's fee sort of, you know, was one that just flagged up quite early on as, that was quite high. And then I looked into it and it was obviously a, a British record at the time, I think, after 
Andy Cole the year before. So yeah, it sort of I was thinking that's gonna come back and it's gonna be big, but I didn't expect like sort of in the Coutinho to Barcelona range. Um yeah, given he only spent two seasons at Liverpool and, you know, failed to properly kick on. It was uh, quite a, a fun little sort of project to work on during the international break. You know, it's something that we've done for every club just to have a look and sort of see, you know, who would be the most expensive signings if they were bought, you know, today. Right, John, I'm going to re- read you a list of players w- with figures and, and tell me, I just tell feel me where you're really, really old now. <laughs> <laughs> tell me where your eyebrows are raised at these. So, Andy Carroll was 35 million. Apparently, he's 88 million. Mm-hmm. Suarez would now cost 57 million, which seems value. Mm-hmm. Uh, Javier Mascherano, 65 million, one of my favourite players. I think he's worth that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason McAteer would cost how much, Kiva? Jason McAteer, it's 70 million from Bolton. So Bolton, you know, made a bit of money there. I'm not telling him that. I'm not telling him that. He might get a bit big head once he hits that one, might he? Couldn't get it, couldn't get any bigger. I do think it's properly interesting, though, that like when that money was spent, it probably felt big then, but now we've sort of done this, it's like, whoa, that is actually a lot of money. And you sort of look at the players that didn't, you know, kick on. I mean, Torres was 71.2 million. You'd absolutely pay double, wouldn't you, for the impact he had on, you know, his time at Liverpool. No, I don't think anyone would have questioned that. And even like obviously Van Dyke's up there because obviously his went up a little bit to like 84.6. But again, he's a player. Double it. Yeah, fine. The impact he's had. Same with Allison is went up a little bit. Obviously, we know he's high up on the, the most expensive signings list anyway. But some players are up there and you're just like, yeah, um, but yeah, Andy Carroll doesn't quite make that sort of cut, does he, in terms of, you know, I think that, that goal in the semi-final against Everton, you know, 88.9 million, yeah, all right. If someone can, can do a similar thing against City, you know, um, it's all almost like they're paid for, isn't it? Listen, I still say that the one in the final was over the line as well. Do you remember the, the header in the final after he'd come on? Just, just on that one, he was just made me feel incredibly old. Because I remember Stan Collymore signing for Liverpool, and I remember at the time going, "Ooh, that's a lot of money." Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's that's now been, you know, the older was a, a, a an older vintage. And the other thing I'd say as well is that I know Andy Carroll spent a lot of time with him at Newcastle prior to coming to Liverpool, and if he would have not had the injuries and been able to have the same effect on Liverpool that he'd had on Newcastle for that year, year and a half before, it would have been a great signing. It was just the wrong fit. You know, he didn't fit Liverpool. What I would also say as well is that it shows now the work that goes in behind the scenes on transfers in terms of psychometric testing, uh, judging the mentality of the players. Will they fit in with this group that we've already got? And that's a big, big part of the modern transfer now. The recruitment staff working on the players' mental approach as much as the the actual football ability that they have to see if they are a fit with that squad to fit in that club because you know to go to Liverpool there's massive pressure on you do you have that ability to to live with the pressure Stuart Downing said it a couple of years ago he said um, when he was at Villa he'd have one good game in three and everyone be like he's the best left winger in the country 
he'd go to Liverpool and he'd have one bad game in three and everyone was on him straight away. You know, the different demands of, of different clubs that you play at. Really good piece. Well worth checking out. Um, Kiva's research on, on what players would cost now. Uh, right, we, we've got to mention Liverpool women. Absolutely superb season, almost perfect season on the brink of promotion. Four games remaining, but they just need a point, don't they, Kiva? What, what a remarkable season now. Yeah, just incredible. And now it's obviously three games to go. They play Bristol City. They need a point. That's away at Ashton Gate. And yeah, a point will do it. A point will, you know, get them promoted back to the WSL and, and win them the title because obviously Bristol are the closest team to them. Yeah, it's been just a remarkable season to watch after it sort of didn't go Liverpool's way last season. Obviously, you know, Vicky Jepson left the club in January and then it was kind of like a rebuilding almost project but obviously didn't get a manager in Matt Beard returned in the summer so it was you know down to the assistants Amber Whiteley who'd, who'd done a good job but you know the the title race was sort of over by then Leicester City were cruising to the WSL and, and Liverpool couldn't really do anything about it but this season even you know they lost the first game and you know didn't pick up points in games they should have early on but then they've gone on this sort of relentless winning streak and unbeaten run that is you know, help them get to where they are and now, you know, they're on they're on the cusp of something special and it just feels so exciting to be watching them because you know the you know, they're gonna be back in the in the WSL playing against the likes of Chelsea and Man City, Arsenal, you know, Everton again and you know, those teams will be coming to Prem Park next season and the quality of the players the fans will be able to get to see and, you know, for Liverpool to test themselves against. It's obviously gonna be massively difficult and, you know, anyone on the team right now will be like, Well, we haven't done it yet. So, you know, they do need to pick up that point, but, you know, there's three games to go. They need a point. I think they should be doing it. But yeah, such a an exciting time and um, I think they've got one more game at home and that's on the twenty fourth of April. I think I might be right in saying. So hopefully that doesn't clash with Anything because we've had a you know a few issues this season with games clashing with with the men's team, which has been disappointing. And um, but obviously they hopefully be lifting the title there in front of fans. So you know we we watched Barcelona and Real Madrid's women's team la- last night at the the Camp Nou, and obviously you know a record ninety one thousand fans piled in there to watch to watch that. So that's a record for women's football. So you know just an exciting time, and hopefully you know what can happen next season can. Liverpool, Phil Anfield for in the WSL against, you know, one of the big rivals there. That would be, I think, the dream, not to just sort of fill the cop or fill a few stands. Like, let's fill it all. And I think, you know, the players definitely deserve that sort of support, definitely. And, you know, they've, they've got great fans already. You know, it's been a, a pleasure to, to get to know some of them quite closely. And, yeah, the access, I mean, to the, the women's teams completely different than has been for the past you know, a couple of years um, and anyway, you just feel like, you know, you see a lot more of the players and that kind of thing. And yeah, it's definitely one for if you, you know, anyone listening hasn't been to watch the women, then if they can do, then definitely get down and watch them because yeah, it's an exciting time. Thank you very much for listening to uh, The Red Agenda. These guys have been absolute stars today, uh, Kiva and John Bradley. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it and I hope, fingers crossed, we have a brilliant April ahead. We'll see you for the next pod.